We've heard a great deal about the doctor shortage and the issues we might be facing, and clearly they are real issues. Well, now the Association of American Medical Colleges is looking at a new approach, a style campaign, to raise awareness about the doctor shortage. Joining me today on Primary Care Today is a very special guest. He is the Chief Public Policy Officer for the AAMC, Dr. Atul Grover. First of all, Dr. Grover, welcome to the program. It's great to be with you. Tell me a little bit from your uh, research and from the work you're doing about the impending shortage. Well, I, I think the first thing to remember is that uh, we are really facing a crisis that's driven not so much by um, any kind of new events, but really the, the slow growth and aging of the U.S. population. And just to put this in some perspective, if you look over the next uh, 10, 12 years, the population over the age of 65 grows by 46 percent. Uh, while younger populations are growing less than 5%. And so what you really see is that the people who use the most care, all kinds from preventive and primary care all the way through to surgery and uh, medical specialty services uh, are the ones that are uh, going to be expanding. And, and that demographic reality is really what's driving the shortage, but it's going to affect all of us. Are people getting out of medicine more? I hear a lot of people talking about they, you know, they've had enough, they're leaving, maybe they don't like EMR, whatever it would be. Is that happening as well? I think that um, we haven't quite seen that yet in terms of an actual um, leaving of the field by uh, older or even uh, not older physicians. We have seen lots of physicians say that they are thinking about exiting. Now, part of this may be affected by the economic downturn that's affected everybody from, you know, uh, frontline workers to physicians and other professionals. And it may be that you have a certain number of physicians out there that were waiting for their own financial circumstances, retirement accounts, et cetera, uh, to recover before they exited the workforce. So we don't know uh, if there is going to be a, a larger exodus than there has been in the last couple of years because of the economic recovery. Well, obviously, we know this much, and this is definitely clear. We, we need physicians to provide care, and if there is a shortage, I think it's really great that you guys are going after it and trying to help in what way you can. What are some of the strategies? Well, I think the first is, is educating people about the problem. And, you know, the challenge, I think, uh, in uh, policymaking circles is that, you know, you and I have a pretty good understanding, as probably does your listenership, that, you can't just crank new doctors out tomorrow. So that a problem in 2025 is really a 2015 problem. And that's what we've tried to do to educate Congress. And certainly there, there are a handful of physicians in Congress who get it, who understand that the bottleneck is really residency positions and that we haven't done enough to shore up support for those residencies. As a result, if we look between the years of 2002 and uh, maybe 2018, 2019, our U.S. MD granting uh, enrollment will have grown by 30% because we recognize this need to expand medical school enrollment and expand residencies about 10 years ago. At the same time, the enrollment at DO schools, uh, osteopathic schools of medicine, has grown by over 150%. So, now we're facing a bottleneck of potentially having uh, a point in time in the future where we're producing more people with an MD or DO degree domestically than we have residency spots for. And the reason that that challenge exists is that Congress caused the problem back in 1997 when they capped support for uh, Medicare partially supported residency positions. 
And since then, the population uh, has grown and the population has aged, and yet we haven't been able to keep up with that in terms of uh, physician production and training. It's interesting because I'm sure you're right. A lot of our audience probably knows about this, physicians, primary care doctors. I'm even thinking about my own residency training program where you're right. There was a cap. Then we expanded the number of residence slots, but they're not being paid for. And then if there's a period of time where one thing or another doesn't happen, your cap gets reduced. Do you see those things starting to be freed up? In other words, especially in areas like primary care. Well, I do think that there has been a focus on primary care, particularly as we've expanded uh, insurance to more people, knowing that we've got people who have to enter the system and that you can't have a strong health care system without a strong backbone of primary care. So I do think that that's been some of the most pressing uh, issues that uh, health systems have faced is trying to make sure we actually have frontline providers and people working on population health and prevention, and nobody does that better than primary care physicians. Um, I think the challenge has been that even though some of the residency funding um, has favored uh, primary care, it still hasn't been enough, and we just need to increase the overall total support for residency. We, we do have a couple of, of uh, new programs that were started within the ACA, uh, programs to train primary care docs at community health centers, uh, some support for the National Health Service Corps that was built in uh, that really does help with the primary care pipeline. The challenge is that as we get more people into the system, recognize that they have problems, surgical problems, cancer, uh, other issues. You know, I just saw a report today uh, from the Cancer Society that essentially the, the number of people who will be diagnosed with breast cancer alone in 2030 is going to be over 400,000. And, and we're only training 500 oncologists a year. So there's a real challenge here across the spectrum from primary care to oncology to surgical services that we just have not addressed. Um, the, there has been bipartisan legislation in Congress, uh, in the last Congress, both in the House uh, and in the Senate, to expand support for residency positions. Uh, I think that hopefully now that we've gotten the SGR um, debacle off the table, um, that maybe we can now focus on the fact that the reason we care so much about a physician fee schedule fix in Medicare is you want Medicare patients to have access to medical care. And what we're saying is that Great, now we're actually willing to pay our doctors uh, and our other providers, but we've got to make sure they're actually out there to accept those payments and to take care of our neighbors and our families. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and I'm speaking with Dr. Atul Grover. He is the Chief Public Policy Officer at the AAMC, uh, making some very interesting points, first of all, about the shortage being specialty-wide. It, it's across the board, and we have to be concerned about that with the need. Also, talking a little bit about the idea of Medicare, the importance of it, what we've seen change. I'll tell you, I know just from, again, you know, residency programs, we have practices, we train. One of the things I've noticed that really is working well is the welcome to Medicare physical, the idea of transition of care, those kind of things I see us implementing in our practice because, yeah, there's increased payment, but it's also starting to reflect itself in better care for patients because, you know, if you get the med rec right at discharge, it makes a big difference, especially for our senior citizens. I mean, I think, you know, we have woefully underpaid and not recognized cognitive services over the years. And so the hope is that as we move our attention more towards population health and 
the full continuum of care for our patients that we can recognize the people who do the very tough job of actually uh, thinking through and diagnosing and spending time with those patients that are increasingly becoming more complex. I mean, part of this, um, this wonderful burden of having an, an uh, ever-growing aging population is that we've kept people alive with what used to be fatal disease and turned them into chronic illnesses. But that's going to need more management in the future, more care of all kinds. Uh, and, and so it's a great thing that we're moving in this direction. We just need to be better prepared. Talking a little bit of the video and, and the three-part video series, uh, you can describe it better, but the way I'm, it's explained to me, it follows the story of a young doctor and her work in a university hospital ER. Uh, in, in, as the viewers watch, the young physician and her patients experience firsthand what the American doctor shortage will look like in 2025. I think that's really a great idea, like get people a sense of what it's going to be like. Tell me a little bit about the three-part video, uh, how it came to be, and if you think it's going to have a really big effect. So we, we actually were trying to think a little bit out of the box in terms of how to educate our, our you know, friends and families about the issue when they're not necessarily living, breathing this stuff every day. And so we decided to work on a short um, series of videos that would essentially depict what it might be like for patients and for uh, the healthcare system uh, in 2025 if we don't start to address this issue now. So if your listeners want to go to thedoctorshortage.com, they can actually see these videos. They're very short, three of them about 30 seconds apiece, but it really sort of traces the path of a young physician who's working at a teaching hospital who sees all these access issues, including patients who are having trouble accessing their own physicians in the outpatient setting, making them wait longer to come into the inpatient setting, being sicker, and in some cases having um, bad outcomes because of this, because they weren't able to get in to see a physician for six weeks or more. And we think that's increasingly going to become the reality for all of us. But where the biggest concern is right now is we're already seeing access to already underserved populations that's being jeopardized. We saw that very clearly in the access crisis in the veterans uh, health care system last year. And I think Secretary McDonald said they would need something like 10,000 clinicians added to that system to actually be able to fully address those issues. And I think what is clear whether you're talking about veterans or rural communities or the urban underserved is that physician shortages affect them first, and there's going to be increasing issues of access for those vulnerable populations, but eventually it's going to affect all of us, and uh, that's why everyone should care. So the videos are just a snapshot of, you know, literally two minutes in all uh, just to see what that reality might look like for all of us and for all of our friends and neighbors. The Association of American Medical Colleges, a not-for-profit association, it represents 141 accredited U.S. and 17 accredited Canadian medical schools, nearly 400 major teaching hospitals and health systems, including the 51 Department of Veterans Affairs Medical Centers, 90 academic and, and uh, scientific societies. So you clearly have a wide reach, and you have an opportunity to uh, to reach out to all different groups and represent them and give them the information. How's it being received by physicians? Are physicians uh, feeling as if uh, there's an effort being made? 
I, I hopefully think they are. And, and you know, I, I think increasingly physicians are learning, and we see this with our young physicians, our medical students, our, our residents. Uh, I'm sure you see it in, in your own department that they are increasingly interested in figuring out how they have a voice in public policy. And I think there was a, a tremendous show of uh, civic engagement by the physician community to, to get the SGR pa- uh, fix over the, the finish line in a bipartisan way. So I do hope that we can turn our attention now to the access issues that are going to affect people because of workforce shortages. I also think that, um, you know, speaking of, of younger physicians, we found that the, this is a, an issue that, um, you know, not only those of us that, that are concerned about training the next generation of physicians, but those that are entering training or about to enter training uh, have, have really resonated with. So certainly among uh, pre-medical students and, and medical students and residents, um, we have found that, uh, you know, this message really resonates with them. They're ready to take it to uh, their members of Congress, uh, and hopefully they'll listen. Well, I've noticed two things. Again, working with those who are training, I noticed two things about this breed of uh, residents that I maybe didn't see 10 years ago, there definitely is an increased awareness of public policy and public policy issues. I think when I went through residency, I probably wouldn't even have known what Congress was doing, half aware that Congress even existed. These these men and women know about it. And the other thing that I've noticed, too, is I think their use of technology and social media and all these other tools we have to reach out to people are going to be effective as well um, as opportunities to maybe expand and look at the way we treat people differently with different eyes, too. Right. And, and, you know, these are, these are the physicians who are going to lead us in that direction. And even with the video campaign, uh, trying to work through social media, you know, we've been able to reach, I think, almost a million people uh, with these messages. And, and so that's really driven by the younger generation of physicians. And, and I think that's just been amplified in the last five or six years as we've debated health care in the United States. We continue to debate the best ways to expand insurance and keep people healthy. I think it really motivates them to uh, be more civically active, which is a place where physicians have traditionally lacked historically. Um, given our education level and um, age and, and other factors that normally predict voting turnout, uh, we have done really poorly, even in something like voting. And so I'm hoping that this new generation of physicians will drive us to be more actively engaged in the future of healthcare for our patients. If you had three things, you know, three wishes you could have to help reduce this shortage and expand access to care, what would those three steps be or three wishes? So I I think this is a multi-pronged solution. Number one, we do need to keep working on improving delivery, improving payment methodology so that uh, the work that that you're doing to improve the health care of populations and prevent your patients from getting sick is actually rewarded and we can help you do that effectively. The second thing we need to do is lift that cap on Medicare's support for its share of the cost of training that's been in place now for 18 years. Uh, And Congress can do that if they wanted to tomorrow. And third, we still need to think about those programs that are aimed at distribution of where the workforce goes and also specialty distribution. So investing in things like the National Health Service Corps and Title VII uh, in in the health professions, education training programs, Children's Hospital, Jamie, all those are still necessary to help shape the workforce, uh, but we need to make sure that we train an adequate number. Dr. Atul Grover, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on Primary Care today. I really appreciate your insight. Thank you for having me, Brian. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash primarycare today to download the podcast. You can learn more on the series. Thanks again to all of you for listening.